The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth, so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If, therefore, you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all these things and sneered at him. And he said to them, You justify yourselves in sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is of human esteem is an abomination in the sight of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. Just pause on that for a moment because it's somewhat surprising to hear the Lord say something like that. Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. And at first glance, we wonder, is the Lord celebrating dishonesty? And that is far from the case. But what a remarkable statement that is. Dishonest wealth. And this marvelous discussion that Jesus then goes on to expound before us is intimately connected to the attitude about which St. Paul speaks concerning how he has grown in his own service of the Lord. Note what Paul says to the Philippians, even as the Philippians have generously extended aid to him. In fact, we hear him very directly say that there was a point in his ministry where the church in Philippi was the only church that helped him. And he is very grateful for that. But then he begins to reflect on the experience of need for help and of self-sufficiency. And he wonderfully says, I have learned how to live with lack. And I have also required the other necessary skill of learning how to live with abundance. I have learned how to live with hardship, and I have learned how to live with ease. And as he goes through this list of opposites, this list of contrasts, in our own hearts we might find ourselves a little jealous saying, you know, 
I'm really not good at living with lack, and I get in trouble when I have abundance. I'm really not good at dealing with hardship, but I also drop the ball all the time when things are going easy for me. And I realize I'm not good at living in either of those situations. And note what Paul is saying. Life is never merely all hardship. It is never merely all lack. But it is also never merely all abundance. It is never merely all success. It is both. And the good Christian, the true follower of the Lord, learns how to live not in some aspects of life, but in all of them. That there is actually a skill set, a Christian skill set, for living at a moment of hardship and sorrow and lack. And there is likewise a Christian skill set for living with abundance, for living with success. But what many of us do is rather than learn from Christ, rather than learn from the gospel how to live with these things, we learn from the world around us. And the world around us doesn't have much to teach us except how to get it wrong. And so what do we do? We learn the selfishness of the world. We learn the frustration of the world. We learn the impatience of the world. Just consider how quickly we can lose our tempers on the highway. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you might have muttered under your breath on the drive here today. <laughs> consider how much we've squandered opportunities, simply wasted moments of grace and blessing. They were there, they were good, and yet we made such little use of them. How many good things have passed through our hands over the years? They passed through our hands. We glanced at them, but we failed to appreciate them and never fully received them. I have learned how to live with abundance. I've learned how to live with blessing, St. Paul says. I've learned how to live with need. I've learned how to live with frustration. In short, what he's saying is, I've learned how to live. We take that very basic and fundamental skill for granted far too easily. But really living is more than just getting by. Really living is not just stringing one day after another after another. Really, truly living is not simply a matter of drawing breath and having my heart beat. Really living involves the quality of my engagement with life. And so as Paul is speaking in this way, he is also laying out that tremendous depth of life, solidity of life that he has found in Jesus. And that he knows that in my lack, there is a will of God for me and a grace from God for me. And rather than simply focus on what I don't have, I want to focus on that. But he also knows that in my abundance and in my success and in my comfort, there likewise 
is a will of God for me and a grace of God for me. And I don't want to lose that, he says, by focusing narrowly on the superficial blessings, the lesser goods, when I know that hidden within the lesser goods is a deeper good, a greater good. And I long to live that and know that and receive that. How wonderful that is when we recognize this statement by Paul, that the more I surrender to Christ, the more my life truly becomes my own. The more I surrender to Christ, the more I truly live. And I live in harmony with the one who gave me life in the first place, who is that only one who can show me how to live it, and that one who longs so much to show me how to live it, as we heard in our gospel acclamation, he actually made himself poor so that I might become rich in him. And note what that says. I have learned how to live with lack because into my poverty, Jesus Christ is pleased to come. I have learned to live with abundance because the one who comes into my poverty does so to enrich me with his goodness. How exquisitely wonderful that is. I have learned, St. Paul says, how to live. That is the thrust of the teaching of Jesus in our gospel. Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. When someone is dishonest, they are untrustworthy. When someone is dishonest, their promises are false. And so the Lord says there is wealth in this world whose promises are false. There is wealth in this world which cannot be relied upon. Dishonest wealth. And why? Because merely worldly wealth does not endure beyond this brief passing series of moments in which we find ourselves. Merely worldly wealth cannot purchase anything that lasts for eternity. Merely worldly wealth gives the false promise of happiness, but it's illusory, brief, passing. And shallow. Real happiness is something different, something greater. So know what the Lord says. Don't fix your heart and your attention merely on acquiring and hoarding for yourself these things, however good they appear at first glance. Rather, put it to use in your service. In other words, don't serve the dishonest wealth of the world. And all too many of us, including lamentably all too many of us who style ourselves Christians, really live lives where we are at the service of the things of the world. And know what the Lord says. They're here to serve you. 
You're not here to serve them. You were created for something more than your career. You were created for something more than the passing goods of this world. Your life does not belong to those things and it doesn't consist of those things. They're here for you. Put them to use. Don't be their servant. Let them serve you. In other words, put it to use doing good. Put it to use helping those others who likewise have needs. Put it to use because when you do that, you gain the honest wealth of grace and the honest wealth of the gospel. You gain possession of a treasure that endures even to eternity. And that you can count on. The Lord then continues and he very directly says, and so that we're clear, be very careful regarding your attitude toward money. This is not a throwaway line by Jesus. Jesus in the gospel goes out of his way to challenge our attitudes regarding finances more often than he goes out of his way to challenge many other things. And we would sit there and say, well, aren't there worse things than being greedy? Apparently not to Jesus, who goes out of his way to say money is a danger. Okay, this is not where I come around passing the basket and say, since it's dangerous, give me all of it. <laughs> but he is speaking about the subtle corruption that an over-preoccupation with our financial well-being, the subtle corruption that a spirit of acquisitiveness, a spirit of gain, can assert over life. And history is littered with the example of otherwise well-intentioned people who for the sake of profit, for the sake of gain, even small gain, begin little by little to lay aside their values. The ways we subtly begin to cut corners, the little ways of cheating that left unchecked become bigger avenues of cheating, where all of a sudden wealth is being hoarded, where all of a sudden acquisition becomes the dominant characteristic of my life. There's even a way without money that can afflict us spiritually, because there are unhealthy tendencies that say, I need to gain as many graces as I can get. And we, you know, we pass those prayers around. If you say this prayer, you get a blessing. And what happens is we have a collection of things that we say or we do for the sake of what we get. Notice how it's no longer about serving the Lord. It's about what I get, what I acquire. This spirit of acquisitiveness is a deadly thing, the Lord says, and it often afflicts us without our realizing it. And he says, when you do that, when that spirit roots itself in you, when that spirit roots itself in you, 
without you even realizing it, perhaps, you begin following a false god, the god of gain, the god of transactionality, the god of what do I get out of it. And that's not the living god, who is the god of giving. And of what do you ask of me, Lord? Note the difference. And so the Lord says, the more the spirit becomes acquisitive, the more it will begin to despise the gospel. Perhaps not directly in open words and open actions, but the attitude of the heart will be a certain hatred. It shies away from the good. It shies away from the generous. It shies away from the right and embraces the convenient and the profitable. Dishonest wealth. And so the Lord says, never serve the wealth of this world. Make sure it is at your service. And who says this? The one, as we have heard, who made himself poor so that we might become rich. The seeking after gain in the end is not about enriching everybody else. However much we like to talk about trickle-down economics and everything else, the pursuit of wealth is always about making me rich. Not about making everybody else wealthy too. The gospel is something different. And note, Jesus doesn't say money by itself is intrinsically evil. He doesn't say if you're wealthy, you have no chance. He's saying more important than the quantity of material wealth you have is the attitude of your heart toward it. Do not let it master you. And it's good for us to hear these words, these challenging and important words today with so many names on these envelopes. Hundreds of envelopes, each with many names. Thousands of people that we know, our co-workers, our friends, our family members, those who have passed away. Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. And note what happens here. With our little contribution of some wealth from the world, we submit those names for the prayers of the church over these early days of November where the graces are many. And we do it not for ourselves, but for them. And then we gather here in this holy place with the little bit of wealth of our time, and we bring it here to the Lord for them. And we turn our hearts heavenwards in prayer, asking not for ourselves, but for them. We who know that our lives too will come to an end. We who know that we are far from perfect, just like our loved ones. Know that just like those Philippians for St. Paul, in our need and in our imperfection, there's still something we can do. And we can call out to heaven on their behalf. And it doesn't matter how long ago they've died. It doesn't matter at all. Because the prayers we say today will be with them 
as they are before the judgment seat of Christ. Note how wonderful that is. They are not alone. Even if they died by themselves, they are not alone. However long ago that was, because our prayer is with them as they stand. Note how beautiful that is. In the eyes of the world, what we do is foolish. But note how powerful it is in the eye of grace. We are weak. We are fragile. And money doesn't get them home. But the prayers we say, oh, that does. Note how beautiful that is. In our lack, there is a will of God for us. In our need, there is a grace of God for us. And for our brothers and sisters who can no longer help themselves, in their need and in their lack, there is a will of God and a grace of God for them. And it involves us. How exquisitely wonderful that is. And so let us pray with renewed faith. Let us pray with a real confidence. Because in just a few minutes, that same Lord Jesus Christ, who made himself poor that we might become rich, is going to be here, disguised under the form of a piece of bread, which is the food you give to the poor. And we're going to come forward. We who are learning how to live with lack, are going to come forward and we're going to stretch out our hands, the gesture of one who needs to be fed. And we're going to receive. And we're not going to receive the bread of this world. We're going to receive the bread of angels. We're going to receive him. And note how beautiful this is. We come forward and we indicate I am learning how to live in lack. I know where to go now. You call me to yourself in my need. You come to me in my need. But then he gives us himself, and we receive him. And when you go back to your bench, the prayer becomes different. It's not merely, Lord, teach me how to live in lack, because you're going to have him inside of you. The prayer becomes, Lord, Teach me how to live with abundance. Teach me to know the abundance of all that you have for me. And show me how to live in that abundance. And when we can do that well, our lives will be richly lived, deeply lived, mightily lived, and they will be founded upon not the dishonest wealth of the world, but the only true honest wealth, the wealth of the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is the very best of things. Amen.